talk about making money and time is money. Time is our most valuable commodity. And with all the tools we have at our disposal to manage it, we still fall short. I'm telling you, I love calendars. I live by my calendar, but I'm telling you, we could do a much better job. How can we better maximize our time to handle everything business and life throw our way? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode, because I got Tim Campos, who used to be the chief information officer at Facebook, and now he's the CEO of his own startup. Now, while he was at Facebook, he took him from $900,000 in productivity to $1.8 million, doubling it five times more than any other tech company. And now he's the CEO of his own startup called Woven, a calendar app that's, according to him, Make scheduling much easier. Tim, welcome to All Business. From Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, so my first question right off the bat, do you see yourself as a disruptor or as a fixer? I am definitely a disruptor. Yeah. Well, you would think as a chief technology officer from the way where you came from to now what you're doing, you would be more of a fixer. Yeah. You know, it's part of the job of the CIO to fix. Yeah. But yeah, I've found that that's the really boring part of the job. Yeah. You got to do it. You got to be good at it. You can't make friends if you don't fix the problems that you have, but you can't really accomplish anything innovative if you're not willing to disrupt the apple cart a bit. Yeah, I call it causing tension. I like to cause a lot of tension, healthy tension. Sometimes I do unhealthy tension too. You sound like you probably do a little bit of unhealthy tension from time to time. Yes, I do a bit of unhealthy tension. I'm a contrarian. I like yeah. to see if everybody's going left, I'm going to check out why aren't they going right? And uh -huh. You know, oftentimes there's some real gold in, in thinking that way. Sometimes it can get you in trouble, but oftentimes there's some real gold. And I've had many examples in my career where, whether it's been at Facebook or at a startup that I was at before, where I took the, uh, the path that everybody else was ignoring, and that led to big success. How did you get to Facebook? That's an interesting story, but uh, the short of it is, is I was the CIO of another company called KLA Tencore. Mm -hmm. That's in the semiconductor industry, which if nobody knows what that is, that's good because it's a, it's a pretty brutal industry to be in. Not, not a lot of fun. Oh. So I, I did this thing called career skydiving. I jumped out of a perfectly good job. I had no idea what I was going to do next, but I just knew that I wasn't going to be in the semiconductor industry in the long term. That wasn't what I wanted to do. Took some time off, went back to business school, and this little company called Facebook was looking for a CIO. And I figured, you know, I'll interview at this place just because, you know, it's 2010 and, you know, we, we were studying Facebook as a case study in business school. I thought maybe that'd be kind of fun to see what it looks like from the inside out. As I got there, I really fell in love with the company. I was amazed mm. by their culture. You know, one of the biggest questions I had is, is Mark Zuckerberg lucky or smart? And I found out yeah. that he's both. Yeah. I realized this is the kind of place that I wanted to be at. And uh, fortunately, they felt the same way about me. And that's how I got there. How many employees were there when you got there? Oh, it was tiny. It was about 1,500 people. Yeah. So a lot smaller than uh, it was when I left and a lot smaller than it is today. And I left when we were about 20,000 employees and another 15,000 contractors. So a workforce of about 35,000 people. 
And just to see a company go from that small to that big in such a short period of time is an amazing experience. Well, to go from 100 to 1500, same kind of thing. You know, 1500 to 15,000, 20,000, that's just, you know, you're adding zeros, but the, the scale of that is you've got to have those systems in place, the things in place to be able to tier that, you know, I would imagine that was their third iteration of really good leadership at that time uh, when you came in. They, they started off with essentially no leadership yeah. and then they evolved to leaders that are very wide, could do a lot of different things. and. Then uh, by the time I left, the leadership had evolved into leaders that are very deep, people yeah. who are really, really good at one particular area, and their roles had been narrowed. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's pretty amazing that you know someone like Zuck and a few other people there have been able to handle that transition as it's affected them. I think that's probably one of the great leadership uh, lessons from Facebook. Well, if you identify what you do really well and you find the people around you, I mean, that's the classic thing, moving one man band or one woman band to devout followers, basically. And then you start making that transition to the skilled practitioners, you know, going deep, as you said, man, that's that does take a lot. You have to give up a little ego when you do that, too, to some extent. Yeah. Uh, it takes yeah. some introspection. Know what you're good at. Know yeah. what uh, you're not good at. Know what you're passionate about, what you want to do. Sometimes what you're good at isn't what you're passionate about. And so people are most productive when they're doing the things that they love and they're doing uh, the things that they know how to do. And you find that combination you know, anywhere and you're, that's a key to success for your organization. You said you did some career diving. You did that when you left Facebook, didn't you? Yeah, I did it again. Yeah, it's right. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I'm going like, you had a perfectly good job. You could you had options. You probably made a pretty good penny off the thing. I don't know. I haven't looked at your personal statement, but you know it had to be pretty damn good, you know. And then you go and start this thing. Yeah. So a big part of what motivates me is I have to be passionate about what I'm doing and feel yeah. like it's I'm going to have a big impact on doing what I'm doing. And as Facebook got bigger, uh, I loved the company, but it was really more of a Facebook was heading into a set of challenges that were interesting, but not as exciting for me. Yeah. Um, and, and we've seen a lot of that. You know, there's a lot of public policy issues. Uh, the growth is uh, slowed in percentage terms and really has been all about how do you go from big to giant. And on the flip side, the startup universe, when you're creating something from nothing, yep. you have huge impact on the success and the, uh, the value of your company. And so that was very appealing to me. On top of that, I, I found that one of the things I learned at Facebook is there's so much that yet to be done with enterprise software. Mm. There's been a, a big transition from enterprise software that was built for the CIO to enterprise software that's been built for the user. And yeah. that was a key part of our productivity growth at Facebook was building things like customer management systems and recruiting systems that were designed to help those workers be a lot more productive and not designed for the head of recruiting to buy or the head of sales to buy. And I saw a, a ton of other uh, opportunities in productivity software. I think this is what Slack and Dropbox and Evernote and others uh, were starting to see in the earlier parts of the last decade where the, the user has become the decider of what technology gets used in the workplace, particularly when it comes to productivity software. And 
I was very drawn to the opportunities that that represented for some of the more untapped areas like the, the calendar, which is what I'm focused on today. Well, I want to get into woven. I want to get into the calendar because I think what you're doing is just fantastic. I've gone and looked at the product and I just like it. And, uh, and there's some cool things. It used to be that the CIOs and the chief technology officers used to put up these huge barriers for companies to come in to get across the wall. You know, wall. And is that breaking down now? Yeah, I think it is. Let's stick with productivity software for a second. You know, you think about all the technology that we use, things like email and spreadsheets and and, uh, note-taking software. And when that's decided by somebody else, it puts a huge burden on them to understand all the details of your use case. It's hard. It's hard to get that done right. And what has happened with the way that technology has evolved is two major changes have occurred. The first is that these technologies no longer have to be bought together, right? It used to be if you bought, you know, Microsoft Excel, you also needed to buy Microsoft Word and PowerPoint because you wanted to cut and paste from one into the other. And that just wasn't possible if those technologies weren't compatible with each other. That's not the case anymore in today's day and age with uh, just the way that software is built. But the second is it was a buying convenience for the CIO. What do I buy my staff? Oh, I know. I'll just buy a suite of products that will have a little bit of everything for everybody. But the problem with that is that it's suboptimal for most people. And uh, what we've seen with Zoom and with Slack is that the best technologies are selected by the user in today's day and age. And instead of the CIO coming to the user and saying, let me tell you what it is you're going to use. At this point, it's the opposite. Users are coming to the CIO to say, hey, we're using Dropbox. You need to buy an enterprise account. We're using Zoom. You need to you know, dump this Cisco WebEx thing and, and buy an enterprise account for it. And that's a very different buying motion, which if the CIO is very user-centric, they're actually embracing it because it helps to create more of a productive workforce. Productivity or the workforce is outpacing the planning right? And the approvals. And so they're bringing it in regardless. It's got to be a hard thing to control because before that CIO or chief technology officer that or the C-suite, they would want to control that process for security, for a whole bunch of other things. But that that's just, it's gone. It's over. It's like it's tilted. The trick for the CIO is how do you embrace this? Because it really does cut down the way that you know, the, the complexity of working with the workforce when if you have a even partially or, or reasonably technically savvy workforce, they will find the things that will make them more productive. And what you really want to do as a technology leader in that case is embrace that and engage it and use those uh, users to go and identify the things that are going to help make your company more effective. But you got you kind of have to migrate though, don't you, Tim, migrate to some kind of platform. I mean, you can't have some people using, you know, one filing system over here, you know, for instance, like we use like a company called like SecureSync, and then another one's wanting to use Google, you know, or another one's wanting to use Dropbox. You can't have all that stuff sitting in all those places. No, but that the burden there is shifting more to the software developers to mm. play fairly with each other. You know, in mm. our case, you know, we're doing a lot of calendaring work, but, you know, eliminating Google Calendar or Microsoft Outlook, we're layering on top of them. So when our users come in, we don't need the entire company to shift over to Woven in order to create value for the user who signs up with us. We can create value for that user directly. Everybody else can still interface with them using, you know, whatever their, they're doing, whatever yeah. it is that they're, they're, they're doing. And that's, I think the same is true for a lot of other technologies. Now, 
when you get to something like Slack, it's a little bit more complicated. You got to do, uh, you know, groups of people have to make that choice. And sometimes, you know, you have, you know, competing priorities where one department gets a lot of benefit out of a system that has a rich ecosystem like Slack and another one might get a lot of benefit from a system that's very deeply integrated with other tools like Teams. And that's the point where the CIO has to get involved to figure out what the right solution is for the company. But, you know, again, you want your users really deeply involved in those decisions. You don't want to have a very command and control type of attitude, lest you basically take on the responsibility of every individual's personal productivity decisions, which is just an incredible burden. Yeah, you can't do that. And speaking of productivity, I got to go earn something right now. So let me take a quick break and I'm going to come back and I want to ask you about how you doubled productivity. We'll be right back. My first question coming back is you, you doubled productivity at Facebook from 900,000 to 1.8 million per employee over your tenure, five times more than most tech companies. How did you do that? Well, I should admit that some of this is just due to the, the nature of Facebook's business and the, the product itself. But there was a lot that we did with the, uh, the workforce to make the workforce more productive. And, you know, this starts with, with leadership. Yep. When I came into Facebook, my first question to Mark Zuckerberg during the interview process is, what is your expectation of me? Well, I think one of the reasons why CIOs often fail is that they don't have clear objectives from their leadership. Yep. And Zuck was absolutely crystal clear. He's like, I care about the productivity of this workforce. Your job is to make sure that everybody can get as much done as possible in the eight hours a day or 10 hours a day or whatever it is that, that they work so that we don't need to bring on armies of people to do things that could be handled by a, a more efficient workforce. So it starts with that. And then it was really focusing on, uh, I read this, uh, this term the other day, which I really like, the aggregation of marginal improvements. <laughs> no, that's cool. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a mouthful. But you know, the, the yeah. idea is that like everything matters. I mean, we literally had engineers who would stand at the turnstiles when you walk into the campus and monitor how long it took for a, an employee to badge in as they walked into the campus to see how we could shave off milliseconds of that activity. You know, that was the, uh, the attention to detail that we had. So pretty much everything was getting measured, everything we were looking at in depth to identify where it is that we could shave out incremental work to make the work more focused on what people not only could do, but really love to do. And that is a big part of what made them more productive. It wasn't just that we were automating things, is that we were going after the things that were cumbersome. You know, for the recruiter, for example, a lot of the, the paperwork, the, the cutting and pasting of information from a resume into another system, that was completely unnecessary. And it would just take time and we could just make it so that they press a button. Yes, here's a candidate's resume that I want to now put into the process to go get an interview scheduled. Scheduling interviews, my gosh, you know, we had well over 100,000 interviews per year that were being done just for software engineering. That is candidates, conference rooms, panelists, and it's cumbersome activities like, you know, when is the candidate free? When is the conference room free? When are the panelists free? Who's free to do this kind of interview? Again, fully automatable, something that you could just put a, a good structure around and then have the machines do the work for people. Now, that doesn't take away what people love to do. People like to, to meet other people. That's a big part of what a recruiter's job is. They are successful by building a relationship with the candidates. We weren't trying to eliminate those things. We we're trying to allow them to focus more of their job 
on that part of the activity so that the recruiter could be more productive in a way that was meaningful for them. And by doing that over and over and over again, we started to have very significant impact on the workforce for Facebook. I saw in an interview that your motto is take the work out of the work, which I thought is really tied to this whole philosophy you're talking about right now. What prompted you to adopt this? Were you measured on that as well? I mean, you had to be measured on some of that. One of the things I loved about Facebook is you got to create your own measurement framework. Like what, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what defines success for your job? Yeah. yeah, and this was a, a big part of it. With, with time, the HR organization came up with this uh, really cool way of assessing employee engagement, which is what percentage of time are people spending on what they love. So we were able to use the measures that we had that were more objective in nature combined with that measure, which is more subjective in nature, to find, okay, here's the parts that are cumbersome for people. Let's put our investment energy as we're uh, building custom software for people into the things that are going to help them spend more time on what they love and spend less time on the things that feel like work for them. And that's how you got to this. Yeah, let's take the work out of work. Let's make it a lot more engaging and fun. Which is good. I mean, if you make it fun and engaging, then people want to stick around and do more of it. You know, my wife always says, you do this for free. Yeah, I said, don't tell anybody. That's how we keep score. But yeah, it's exactly true. So what prompted you to say, okay, I see this thing. I've been doing this over here. I've been, you know, pocketing my money, been doing the stuff. I've been enjoying it. Now it's not so much fun, but now it's time for me to get out. So I'm going to jump and go somewhere else. What did you see while you were at Facebook that you saw over on the other side that you go, holy shit, I can go do Woven? And what, what prompted you to do that? So a big part of productivity is time, right? So, yeah. you know, the, the productivity equation is output over input, right? So yeah. how, how much can I get done? And for the knowledge worker, time is the most valuable asset that they have, right? So if, if you're a, a salesperson or a software engineer or a manager, you know, your creativity and your ability to, to take thoughts and ideas and turn them into some kind of business result is very much a function of how you choose to spend your time. Yep. And it was amazing to me how horrid the system is that knowledge workers use to manage their time. It's the, the calendar. It's not that it's necessarily so bad. It's just incomplete. It's a digital version of the paper diary that we had in the 80s, right? So mm-hmm. this is, you know, you write down, okay, on oh, January 6th, yeah. these, this is what I'm going to be doing. But yeah. you never expected your paper diary to give you any kind of analytic to say, am I spending the time on the things that are most important? How much time am I spending with customers versus employees versus investors? And yet in today's day and age, those, the answers to those questions are critical for the knowledge workers. So I found myself constantly wanting to improve the calendaring ecosystem, even just within Facebook. And I, I already mentioned one thing that we built, which was a system to help the recruiters schedule for software engineers. We also built a couple of other systems, one for allowing employees to schedule meetings with each other and another one for salespeople to schedule events with clients. And the more we did with this, the more I realized, you know, there is a big opportunity to take what we know and love as the calendar and complete it, make it a much more important part of how we choose to spend time. And that became the mission of what Woven is. We're we're here to help people spend time on what matters most to them, whatever that is for them. I got to tell you, I looked at a demo of what you're doing, and it's very intuitive and different. You know, there's a, there's some other ones out there. There's Calendly, there's Acuity. We happen to use one of those right now. But I really like what you've got here because I got to tell you, I'm going to be out of town and people are scheduling. You know, I got out of town because I travel a lot, but people are scheduling in-person meetings with me in New York City, but I'm in Atlanta. 
You know, so there's yeah. lots of inherent things. And then I got to go back to the person and say, hey, I'm not in New York. I'm going to be in Atlanta that day. Can we do a video call instead? Things like that that really become a real pain in the ass. But yeah, you just highlighted a, a couple of key issues that exist with calendars. Yeah. One is that uh, they can't schedule events on their own. You, know, you yeah. have to have humans involved. And that's really what Calendly and the scheduling link capabilities of Woven have really attempted to, to deal with is to, to create a version of the calendar that can schedule events on its own. And this is a, a huge source of, of time savings for our users is to use scheduling links so that you just say, hey, if you want to schedule time with me, here's a special link for you that gives you access to my calendar. You can see when I'm free based on the times that I want you to see. Yeah. And pick a slot that works for you. Well, you, well, you just na named something, I think, that gets people over this AI anxiety that they have, right? You just, you build rules around it. You build governance. I call it governance because nobody wants to let that schedule go. You know what I mean? You oh, can't absolutely. have control of my schedule. But if you do a good job of blocking out times, doing the things you want to do, like I block out a certain amount of sales time every day. Then nobody screws with it. Don't even touching it. That's the time in which I'm going to do my stuff and make sure I get it done. And I just think, but that's really what you have to do, don't you? And in terms of the governance of it? Absolutely. The typical worker only has eight, maybe 10 hours of day that they can allocate out. So that's a very, very precious resource. And the reason why people don't like an AI-based scheduling solution is uh, the machines will make mistakes, right? And yeah. so we can't afford to lose even 30 minutes of our time. A better mechanism is what you described, which is to use the calendar as a, an easy way to keep track of how I want my day structured and then give the system very specific instructions on how that can be allocated out to others. And that eliminates the, the and errors. Who? That and who? And who to yes. do it with, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because, uh, you know, my, my wife gets, you know, a different set of priorities than my <laughs> co-founder. They're both super important to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. But I'm yeah. probably not going to spend my Saturday nights with my co-founder at dinner, you know, at uh, my favorite restaurant. I might, but uh, most of the yeah. time that's going to be with my wife. That's reserved for her. Yeah. So, you know, and she also, if, if something happens with my kids and she needs my help, then, you know, that's a high priority thing. If my co-founder needs me to help out with a customer issue that we have over a weekend, then that's a high priority thing. The calendar needs to understand these really important nuances to context so that it can separate those activities from the more mundane stuff of, oh, you know, my wife wants me to pick up the groceries. I don't have to do that at four o'clock you know, on Thursday, I could do that at six o'clock on Thursday. Oh, my co-founder needs me to respond to this particular legal issue. Again, I have time. I can choose when I want to make those decisions. So when you provide the context of the calendar so that it understands how you are spending time, it can help you spend that time more effectively. So we got a, bit, a minute left. What's the biggest thing you want people to know about Woven and the, the value that you get? Well, the number one thing that we are doing for our users today is helping them get time in their days back, helping them to save time. And a big part of that is by eliminating the scheduling overhead of managing a calendar. We last year alone, and this is, you know, we were still growing, still are, we saved over half a million minutes of time of our users just helping them schedule. So there's a huge opportunity for anybody who's busy, has, spends a lot of time coordinating to use Woven as a, a tool to, to help save them time. This year, we're going to also help our users 
spend that time more effectively. So we're going to take some of that time that we saved and we're going to help you ensure that the goals and the priorities that you have are more effectively met by spending that time more effectively. Well, I tell you what, I appreciate it. Unfortunately, we've run out of time, which uh, happens from time to time, but this has been a valuable use of our time. I've been talking with the former CIO of Facebook and current CEO of Woven, an app that uses AI to manage your most important asset, time. Don't forget, time's money, folks, and we like to make money right here in all business with Jeffrey Hazel. Tim, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. At the end of every show, I like to talk about the things that I learned. And today, we have to find out what we're good at. And once we find out what we're good at, then we want more time to get it done. I look at my calendar every single day. Sometimes I just say I'm wiping the whole thing out because I got higher priorities. Well, this helps me. And I tell you what, it helps me to get focused and staying good at what I'm good at, okay? Or great at what I'm good at. And so that's what you need to do. That's what I learned today is to focus in on the things that I'm good at and making sure my calendar is aligned with those same exact goals. So that was a great learning that we had from Tim today. And I thank you so much for learning with me. And if you want to help others learn, don't forget to tell them about our show. Right here on C-Suite Radio, this is All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.